Hey team, it's Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix. Where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. It's Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. This is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Steady State Podcast. We're reframing the popular yet limited narrative about rowing culture by celebrating the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. Steady State is made possible by support from our Patreon community. Thanks especially to Jen, Grace, and Patricia. Go team! Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Will Ruth, Blake Gorley, and Joe DeLeo, founders of Science of Rowing. We chatted with the guys about their earliest memories of regattas, life turns that brought them together to create a knowledge base for rowers and coaches, and their support of the George Pocock Foundation's A Most Beautiful Thing Inclusion Fund. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to Steady State Podcast on your favorite podcast app. On this week's episode, we're talking to the incomparable Coach Sarah Nevin. I first met the legendary Coach Sarah at the Mount Baker Boathouse in Seattle, Washington, where she's visited as a guest coach for Conibear Rowing Club's sculling camps for many years. She shared that coaching bill with her colleagues and Conibear longtime coaches, Sarah Lopez and Eleanor McIlvain, both legends in their own right. There you are. Brilliant. Brilliant. And there's my dog, wait, Roman. Give him the phone, so hopefully he'll be distracted. Oh, perfect. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks so much for coming. Um, so we're going to get started. Uh, so Sarah, your history in the sport is legendary. We'll just leave it. <laughs> we're going to say a lot more about that, but we're super thrilled to have you on the show. Yeah, Sarah and Evan, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me. Anytime you can talk about rowing is a good day. Yeah, exactly. So here's just a, a brief uh, list of the credentials. University of Washington, uh, 1983, class of 85, winning multiple national championships, inducted into the Husky Hall of Fame on the national team, 85 and 86, coached Cal Bears, NCAAs, plus a very successful juniors program in Seattle at Mount Baker, which I got to see, and on to master's programs in Georgia, and most recently head coach at Mills College in California. Does that sound all about right? Yeah. So you're a Hall of Famer, a national champion, and considered an expert coach, and we're, we want to talk to you today about your history with the sport and your impact. So, Rachel. So, Sarah, here at Steady State, we're really curious about backstories, you know, the details of what make people the rowers and coaches and coxswains that they are today. So we want to know, how did you find rowing? And uh, do you remember what got you hooked on rowing to begin with? So it was actually a family friend who told me my junior year of high school that I should be a rower because I was tall and I was strong. I was like, oh, cool. And I found my local rowing club at the Durham Boat Club in New Hampshire and joined them. And I found out that I was actually only strong and not at all tall. <laughs> How tall are you? Five, six and a half in oh, clean socks. Oh, no. Yeah, not that tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot on the show about uh, height. <laughs> it seems to come up almost every show. <laughs> it does. I'm five, two and a half, which I have to tell everybody uh, because that has its own, you know, things about being a rower at five, two and a half. The chair is five, ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, uh, I guess, continuum of that story, I got to see this family friend for the first time in 40 years last fall. And I was able to tell her that she had actually changed my life by telling me that. And it was super cool to see her and like just give her a huge hug. Wow. Oh, wow. I mean, you just never know. That, like you never know what little nugget is going to lead to the next one and the next one. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. when you first tried it, what kind of, what really just got you hooked? Like, did you have a, a regatta that was memorable or a coach that was memorable? Well, the coaches were the Dreyers, and our club was really small. There were seven people in it. Um, 
and they told us that if we just came to practice and did what they said, they'd promise us a medal at nationals. They didn't promise us what color, but they promised us a medal. So it was like, cool. And I wasn't very good at other sports. I like did them, uh, but rowing was the first sport I did where the effort I put in actually paid off. So it was pretty great um, to, to get to see that. So I remember my spring of my first year of rowing, we obviously sculled because it was such a small club and went to a scholastics race and my coaches said, do you see her? Just keep your bow ball on her stern for the race and like, it'll be good. So I did that. <laughs> I can follow instructions. <laughs> but then the race was like, oh my God, that's the hardest I've ever had to row. Who are you? I'm like, I'm Sarah. <laughs> uh, she said, how long have you been rowing a single? And I was like, three weeks. But I had been in like doubles and quads before that, but this was New Hampshire. So of course you don't row singles in the icy water. So um, yeah, so then the next time I read my coaches said, this time get your bow ball ahead of hers. And so I did. <laughs> Very smart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so again, to have that success when I was like on the JV field hockey team was was pretty rewarding. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, how'd you get to University of Washington? I had taken a year off between high school and college to just earn some money and figure things out personally. And I was cleaning hotel rooms and rowing twice a day. And hotel rooms are actually a pretty good schedule for rowing because you can't start too early. And you have to be done by four so that worked pretty well yeah. and the UNH coaches were supporting me um, letting me train with them and when needed for weights and things um, and so Jan Harville called me one night and asked if I was planning to go to college and I was like yes absolutely because like, talking to the other like chambermaids they watch soap operas and talk about going out and getting drunk and I was like this is not what I want so I was like, yeah, like I want to go to college. So um, I was like, I'll check this out and ask my father, who was a professor, is the University of Washington any good? And he's like, any good? Can you get in? So I was like, well, the coach said yes. <laughs> so anyway, I went to work the next day and the guest in one of the rooms I was cleaning had a map of Seattle and a map of Washington State on his desk. Like, you're not supposed to touch the stuff, but fate is fate. So I, like, opened him up, and I was like, look at all this blue. Look at all this green. I'll go there. Heck, so, yes. Yeah. So I didn't even visit. I just showed up a week before school started and picked Washington. Go Huskies. So, and, and you ended up in Jen Harville's program, which was very successful over the decades that she was there. And you won three varsity eight national championships. And UW was undefeated. We lost one race at the Crew Classic to UVic. Ah, but it was yeah. their national team. Yeah. Oh, there you so. go. <laughs> Domestically undefeated. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Um, you know, beginning to row there and then rolling along in a program that was so successful? I mean, a lot of times I feel sort of like Forrest Gump, if you just show up in the right place at the right time and it's all good. Um, so when I showed up, that's when I learned I was 5'6", because they were taking one right at the physical and they said 5'6", and Bob Ernst was behind me and he's like, 5'6"? Sir, I thought you were taller than that. And I was like, measure again. And they did, and they're like, 5'6". I'm like, measure again. He said, five, six and a half. So I was like, okay. Um, so anyway, I rode with the freshman novice program the first year, which is where I got to know Eleanor McElvain so well. Um, we were in boats together all four years, but there were just some incredible strong women um, in that program. And the varsity won in 81 and 82. And it was really like when women's rowing was becoming competitive nationally so that was really cool to be following in their footsteps and then that it's both pressure and confidence building to know that it can be done so when you're in a race and it gets hard you're like well of course you go harder um, yeah. because it's expected and you also know it will pay off if you do 
Yeah. And that confidence, I think, is huge and something that, you know, in other programs, if you're not used to winning, you don't have that and you have to learn that. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a legendary team. I mean, it's still, and it still does such amazing work. I'm uh, out in the, for our listeners. I'm out in the Seattle area and I've spent uh, many years watching the Huskies uh, men's and women's team just totally dominate um, and, and just be an amazing program. Um, at what point did you start thinking you'd want to go and, and try for the national team? I think it just, I don't remember making a conscious decision. Um, I just, seemed to keep going again it was something I was good at so there was a group training out of the UW boathouse so it was really easy to just go to rowing with that group instead of the college group. Was there um, a coach who stepped up uh, and said hey I think that you should give this a shot? No in fact I would say it was more the opposite because at the national team level like in college of course five six is fine if you work hard but at the national team level, I think the only reason I was able to be competitive and good was from my high school experience in rowing the small boats and having some boat feel. Um, so I became pretty good at rowing the pairs and was often put in some of the best sports in the country, which was great. But then if we didn't win pair trials and came in second, then they row six eight and eight and I'd be the spare which is basically what happened in 85 and 86 and 87. So I'm a massive massive pair fan like that's my favorite boat can you tell me what it is about the pair that you either like or, or really drew you to that boat? Oh it's my favorite boat too um it's because it's either good or it's bad it's <laughs> you have like an okay row in a pair you know right um, right either a symphony or a cacophony but it's you know um and rowing bow in a pair it's just how do you make it go straight how do you match how do you you know you have to do what your stroke seat's doing to make it happen so I really loved it and this ties in I guess in 88 so after I didn't make the team in 87 I called up Eleanor and asked her if she would train in the pair with me because I knew she was the best port for me. Um, mm -hmm. So we were training and getting to row bow and the pair, it was being a rower, being a coxswain, being a coach, it was like all the best parts of the sport all together. Wow. Um, so it was really fantastic. Yeah, and, and you and Eleanor had had that relationship from their freshman year and you knew, you knew what she could contribute. And I, I of course, uh, have been coached by her for a decade and have nothing but the enormous respect for her and uh, always wanted to row a pair with her, but she never would, she'd never get in the boat with me. We were definitely um, complimentary. I think she's so powerful and so intense. Yeah. And I'm not quite as powerful. <laughs> so when we row at an 18, she loved it because she could pull me around then. So like we'd be going through the cut and she'd like try to pull me into the wall. I was doing like everything I could to avoid it. So I'd be like, let's take the rate up. And at a higher rate, I could keep the boat going straight. So yeah, <laughs> yeah one of my favorite um, pair rowing memories with Eleanor was uh, I was training with this gal on the Conabare team and we were just pulling each other around, just zigzagging. We had, we were doing a private lesson with Eleanor because we were having such a terrible time and we were both strong, but we were both strong headed people. So I think we were both strokes, you know, in that kind of a, a sense. And I'll never forget, Eleanor said, all right, I'm just going to let you guys go. I want you to do a build and a power 20, and I want you to pull the hell out of each other. I just want you to try, like, actively try and pull each other around. And we went at it, and we were just like dogs. We just went rabid, and we went in a perfectly straight line. <laughs> <laughs> and Eleanor stood up in her coach's lunch and took a big bow. <laughs> it was just beautiful. It was just great. So I can only imagine what it would have been like to actually race and train with her. I, I know her intensity and I know her love for the sport is just runs so deep. And I, and I remember seeing that with you when you came to do those coaching clinics and I never was coached by you, but um, just my teammates who got to experience that as masters, just to have someone with such laser focus or such 
great innovative ideas I think was really appreciated by my teammates. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting a new narrative in rowing and a couple of your fellow rower entrepreneurs make it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access. So join today at SteadyStateNetwork.com, on Instagram and Facebook at SteadyStateNetwork, and on Twitter at SteadyStateRow. And we're back with Coach Sarah Nevin. What else can you tell us about the, your national team experience? What else can you tell us about the, your national team experience? It was definitely being a spare. I think that was me as a rower. You know, I'm relatively proficient technically had decent boat feel and just wasn't taller even I guess I was still strong but just not all that tall and long in 86 we I was the spare and they had the good little games in Moscow that year so we went to Moscow and then they just decided to keep us in Europe because it was before between the goodwill games and worlds because it was just cheaper to train there instead of flying back and forth and paying for training spots in the U.S. It was pretty cool to get to row in Switzerland and Germany and all that. Um, but one of the very cool experiences is in Switzerland, the, the pairs hadn't arrived for the spare pairs. So we rode in the men's four with the two men's pairs. And that was a very interesting experience. Wow. Um, Did you get to row bow? When we rode with the Cox four, we, I did row bow. Um, and then the next day we were in the straight four, which was starboard stroked. And so the starboard guy had never rode with a toe in his life. He had to learn how to tow. And this huge guy with the broadest shoulders in the world rowing three seat in front of me. So I couldn't see a thing. <laughs> and my peer partner had pink eyes, so she couldn't see very well in bow seat turning around. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a good day, huh? <laughs> uh, it was actually great. And the national team coaches were walking with the athletic trainer and saw us rowing. And now that boat's rowing well. And the trainer told me that because he was from Seattle. And then when the coach saw who it was, he was really angry. <laughs> so that we were doing well. <laughs> because of some of the contentiousness of selection that year. Yeah. And you had other opportunities, you personally, to row in a straight four? No, I think that's the only time I had rowed a straight four. That's one of Eleanor's uh, favorite boats. And uh, uh, when we would train the fours for Boston, because I went to the, uh, to the head of the Charles with Eleanor uh, three times in the four, when we just couldn't find a coxswain or she just decided that that was the day, we would actually just break down what was really going on in the four by rowing it straight. And it was a make or break moment. It really, the personalities clashed or they didn't. The oars went in together or they didn't. We had run or we didn't. And it was just such a great amplification of everything that was going well and going wrong in that particular lineup. And, and I think that's why she likes it so much. Um, but I've spent <laughs> plenty of time in a straight four, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it really, like you said, amplifies what's happening in the boat. And it really shows rowers, like what happens if a coxswain isn't steering. <laughs> yeah, I have one more national team story if you want. Sure. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you for one, so go ahead. <laughs> so that same summer when we were training in Munich, two people in the men's eight, one got sick and one was injured. So they were already using the starboard male spare. So I was out in the pair and the coach came and rode his bike up and was like, hey, Sarah, come on in. Can you row in the men's eight? I was like, sure. <laughs> go from the slowest boat to the fastest boat so wow. I get in and like we're doing okay you know I'm like finding a little grip you know like of course I'm in bow where they had the short guy perma bow they called him he's only six three you know but I'm like I'm able to match I'm able to get a little something on the face of the blade so the coxswain calls for a power 10 and the first stroke I'm like yes like locked on or bent <sighs> Second stroke, the boat lifts up so much, I didn't even connect to the water. Like, just a total whiff. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but then it was actually 
like got it figured out, of course. Um, and then like the coach was like, all right, this is actually going all right. Let's do some pieces. So, <laughs> oh my God, that must have felt amazing. What kind of rates were you at? Uh, we were doing 250, so I don't even know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, hi. It, it was one of those like hold on for dear life sort of pieces. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, I just moved to Vashon Island uh, two years ago and I've been rowing with men for the first time, you know, because I've been with Conabare for. 10 years. It's something else. It is just something else. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a different energy and there's a different power in, in that kind of a shell. So I've been really uh, hoping that they would come up with the mixed pair at the master's level because I've got so many guys who would be so fun to row a pair with at, master, at any of the master's events. Yeah. So we've talked about college. We've talked about moving to the national team and training there and opportunities to get in interesting, unique lineups. Um, and then we know that you started coaching. And so we're really curious what it was like, uh, what the environment was like for you as a female coach in the early 90s as your career was just taking off. This is something I didn't appreciate at the time, which is probably like most of my life that I just did and didn't realize what I was doing until afterwards. Um, I coached, my first time coaching was at Bush High School in Seattle. And um, I coached the novices in the fall. And this was right as I graduated from college. And then in the spring, I ended up coaching the varsity women. But it's a super small program. So it's sort of everybody together a lot of times. Um, so I often was coaching males there and again didn't think much of it uh, and then I took a break from coaching to focus on my training because it was too hard to do both at the same time and so then after I retired from rowing I was like okay time to get into coaching now this will be great and fun and I had a number of people contact me about opportunities but it was actually Eleanor who called and said hey Sarah you could should consider coaching the guys at Baker they're actually not bad for guys. And these are juniors, yeah? Yeah, junior boys. And coming from Eleanor, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big statement. So I was like, oh, that would be great. So I ended up coaching the guys at Baker and started off with just under two eights worth of guys and finished up with, when I left, we had 60 guys on the team and, you know, a um, couple national championships. And I think being in Seattle, it wasn't really eyebrow raising to have a female coaching males. And I think the only time it came up that the guys told me about was we had a race at the UW Boathouse. I, I guess it was opening day and we were borrowing a boat from UW competitor from another team said what's it like having a girl as a coach? And they're like, they were walking past the pictures of national champions and they're like, that one? <laughs> you know, uh, how, many, how many national championships is your coach won? <laughs> oh, snap. He said it's pretty great. <laughs> so that was the only time I ever heard that it came up. <laughs> were there any other uh, women coaches at that time that you were aware of in the area? Coaching men? Mm -hmm. Actually, at Mount Baker, we ended up, like, I hired a female, Corky Bowen, to coach our novice men and then hired a female to be my assistant because she was great. And so it ended up that the whole junior staff at Mount Baker was female, at which point the head of the parks department, aquatics said like, you can't have all female coaches. What will the parents say? I'm like, they're good coaches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like what if somebody gets like, needs medical help in the locker room or something I'm like well then I'll say I'm coming in so cover up <laughs> so what would parents say about that I'm like that they're lucky to have me as a coach and then I did yeah. point out that the comparable program across the city had all male coaches and nobody seemed to have concerns about that true yeah I think Mount Baker was a great place to be coaching at that time it sounds like it yeah, I was very lucky to coach there for 10 years as well. And uh, it's such a dynamic community that's really got a lot of pride and a lot of legacy. And uh, they, I think they, they do a good job. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID, you know, they haven't been able to do anything. 
how has COVID affected Mills College where you're at? So obviously shut down the season and I officially retired in June from Mills. And it was tough because I was sort of planning on that at the, you know, I had known that was coming for a couple months. Um, and so to have the season shut down in March and I had to decide like, am I going to go through with my retirement or not? Because like, is this how I want my coaching career to end? Mm. Like I, I thought about it quite a bit and I was like, yes, I'm tired. I don't want to get up at 4.40 in the morning every morning. But I also realized my whole life I've coached that it's about the process and not the end results. And the races are great and fun, but that's not why you do it or it's not why I did it. Like those are outcomes, but I really do believe it's the process. It's the journey. That's the most valuable thing. And COVID just really brought that home. Mm. And I did give the analogy that it's like being on a spare for the national team where you train and you train and you train. And then the next day you don't train, but there's not a race to end it with. Mm. But that doesn't remove the value of it. There's been a lot of conversations this year through uh, the Black Lives Matter and with at the U.S. rowing the national level about inclusion and about how programs can be more inclusive or more representative. Uh, and we've talked to a couple of collegiate coaches here at Steady State about that. And I'm wondering, um, I've read a lot of uh, articles about you and, and your retirement press release, an article that was written by Mills College. Talked a lot about the legacy that you left in terms of developing rowers on and off the water as great people. And how do you think um, you had any hand in maybe uh, providing a really inclusive environment as a coach? Um, again, this is a little bit Forrest Gumpy, right place, right time. But I think, you know, I, I've always believed that anybody who wants to row should row. And you might be 5'2 or 5'3. It means it'll be harder for you to make the Olympics, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy rowing. Right. So I've, I've always been a proponent that everybody should row. And as such, anytime I see anyone, if they don't run away from me, I'll tell them they should row. So, <laughs> um, so at Mills College, that was a great opportunity because it's such a small school. Um, and then within that, I think the more comfortable I got with myself and confidence in coaching, I could really be sure to welcome people back. Um, and I think that's really meaningful to people if they're in a place that they don't know if they fit in if the coach is like hey great to see you today mm. um instead of just put your bag down get your hands on like it's like oh did i do something wrong maybe i don't belong here mm. um and so being able to take the time to make sure everybody really knew that they were valued um was important and again if you don't have time to do that, that's hard. And so it, it certainly took time for me to be able to make the time, I guess. Um, and at Mills, I was able to make the time. Yeah, that connection with the rowers throughout the season and maybe throughout their entire uh, collegiate career is so important. Um, it is really easy, I think, for rowers to feel like um, they can get lost in the crowd. Um, so that's something that I've always aspired to as a coach as well, is to create um, a place where communication is wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I would also say, people ask me what the biggest talent is for rowing. And I say, it's coming back tomorrow. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I, I love that. Yeah. That's and so great. make sure people know that they're welcomed back, I think does help make it an environment. Um, and then I still keep learning more and more things. Um, like a super specific one that I learned this year is don't ask or give, give options for when a swim test is held. Because for example, if an African-American's done their hair that morning, they don't want to get in the pool and have to redo it again. So let them know that they have the chance to go that night if they want. Ah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? And like, I hadn't known that, but that's a, that can be a big deal for some people. Right. It just shows that you're paying attention and you're educating yourself and you're admitting where you've got some gaps or some blind spots. And 
I mean, we don't know everything about rowing. We don't know everything about inclusion, but you know, I think that that effort pays off. Right. And the more you can learn and be able to say things like that, or um, even in my, like we did a learn to row PE class at Mills. I said, life jackets are required unless you pass the swim test instead of if you fail the swim test, you have to wear a life jacket. So right. the presumption is that not everyone knows how to swim. And I think just changing that frame makes it okay for people who aren't comfortable with water and who didn't have that opportunity to feel okay about considering it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, flipping the script uh, and putting it in a positive light and opening up opportunities. Right. I I feel like that's a big shift that's happening in the rowing culture now is paying attention to those types of things and also the accountability on the rowers part to speak up. You know, if you have a, a non-gender conforming rower, for instance, who decides to change their pronouns or you have a, a, a black rower who wants to be uh, treated or considered in a certain way or the music that's played at the boathouse. These are all things I think that are really coming to the forefront um, these days, and it's on the coaches to create not a one-way of communication, but a two-way communication, which I think goes flies in the face of the old style of just put your stuff down, get in the boat, perform, you know, do your thing, right? Yeah, no, and I had an African-American woman who I was coaching a couple of falls ago, and starting off in the barge and it sounded like a revival at a church like you know i gave some feedback and it was like thank you coach praise you for that like, and everything had some feedback and i was like okay like i had to do a little self-check about like why don't we talk in the boat why do i have such aversion to this mm -hmm. and so you know i took her aside after practice and i'm like you know i appreciate that positivity and you need to make sure other people can hear my instructions. Good. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, do it on behalf of your teammates. Like here's and not like you're not part of the culture and you don't understand the culture of rowing, which may have a lot of gaps and have a lot of problems with it. Um, but presenting it that way, you know, they'll still feel included. Right. Right. But having to check, like, why do I have such a, like, adverse reaction to like people talking in the boat of course you don't talk in the boat like we all knew that like that's one of the first things you're taught and it's like why why not have some positivity you know yeah yeah i agree i mean i've just always always been uh coached and have coached that there's no talking in the boat and i think really the last season that i was coaching which was a couple years ago um i started thinking about that a lot more and allowing for some room for discussion but it was purpose built you know okay we have weighed enough it's in between a piece let's have a purposeful discussion in the boat and instead of me just talking at the crew right it was bow seat <laughs> what did you feel stroke seat what did you feel and then allowed for some freedom of conversation there because for people we want to talk we want to talk to each other and I think by doing it in that way, you can also guide the conversation in constructive ways. At Steady State Network, we believe wholeheartedly in the importance of inclusion at all levels and investing in rowers, coaches, and leaders who believe the same. That's why we created Changemaker Scholarships. To support future leaders, we're providing free attendance to the U.S. Rowing Annual Convention being held virtually December 8th through 13th, 2020. We will be hearing daily reports from our Changemaker Scholarship recipients throughout the convention. We're supporting eight up-and-coming leaders with fresh perspectives and visions for the future of rowing. A huge thanks goes to Science of Rowing, Tacoma Youth Rowing, iCrew, Seize the Oar Foundation, and Concept2, who each stepped up to support and sponsor our Changemaker initiative. And we're back with Coach Sarah Nevin. How, how has rowing for you just changed uh, over the years, like whether it's the stroke technique or the culture, like how have you seen this this community and this sport really shift for the uh, better or worse? Um, it's definitely grown a lot. You know, I think um, becoming an NCAA sport collegiately has really upped the level 
of the athletes and the competition at the collegiate levels, which is um, fed into all the other levels, I think, um, for women. Um, one of the most simplistic, but is the race distance. Mm. My first collegiate nationals, we raced 1500 because that was considered the scholastic distance. Uh, the second nationals was 1984. And that's when the women's race distance was a thousand meters. So we raced a thousand meters on Green Lake. Um, <laughs> and then the next year we raced 2000 meters in Northern Virginia. And you know, the fact that now it's just all 2000 meters, I think a lot of people sort of just assume is a thing. And it wasn't that long ago that that was not true. Yeah, it feels like that's always been the case at the collegiate level. And it's it's interesting to hear that it hasn't actually been that long um, for, and I, do you think that was specific to women rowing? They didn't only want like half court basketball, like my mom played half court basketball, because God forbid, you know, <laughs> you, yep. all the way down the court. you get all verklempt, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, 84 was the same year that women got to run a marathon for the first time at the Olympics. So I think that, right. like the mid '80s, there was a lot more like acceptance of females as a not losing our ovaries if we did anything too hard. <laughs> hysteria. We'd have hysteria. Yeah. But I have to tell you, a thousand meters is in some ways harder than two thousand. Like you don't. It's a sprint for three minutes. You don't settle. Yeah. Like, it's brutal. Yeah. There's no lengthen. <laughs> it's just. Uh, Lengthen for 10. Yeah. So big changes in terms of race distances. Um, obviously, there's been, you know, a little, little changes to equipment um, that's available. But anything else that you can think of that's changed in, what is it, 40 some odd years? Again, it's I hadn't looked at it from this perspective, and I, I feel like it's more me that's changed than the sport. Mm. Um, and so trying to figure out which is which comes first, the sport changing or me changing, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure about. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the sport the sport is very consistent, right? I mean, the the equipment hasn't changed that much. In yeah, and remember last show we were like a catch is a catch, you yeah. know, drive is drive, catch is catch. <laughs> I think part of what some of us love about it is the dependability, the regularity. It's the same. Like a catch is a catch, a drive is a drive. And it's going to be that way tomorrow too. And I think people who like consistency can be drawn to rowing. So that's maybe a good thing. We were talking about, you know, you coming into coaching and, um, you know, awareness of other female coaches, which you said, you know, for you, wasn't that rare. There are other women that you coached with at the time. Who would you um, say are your coaching peers, other women who have worked their way through the ranks to be leaders of collegiate and master's programs? Well, there's actually a lot that are sort of from my era. So, I think, you know, obviously Eleanor McElvain, we've talked about a lot. Lori Dauphiny rode with us, same four years, uh, and she's head coach at Princeton now and has been for quite a while and quite successful there. I am a huge fan of Liz O'Leary at Radcliffe's. I think she's got a great head on her shoulder. So those are some of the old school. And then it's fun to see people coming up through the ranks. And I think that's fun and exciting too. I think one of the discouraging things that I've seen is less and less females coaching at the D1 level and even the D2 and D3 than there had been. So right now there are no female coaches coaching D2 collegiately. Oh, wow. The head coaches. Right. And I think as rowing became an NCAA sport, it became a viable way to earn a living which meant that what used to be a labor of love, you know, became something you could do professionally and that got more men involved. And so the number of head coaches isn't great at the NCAA level for females. And I think that's a problem. And that goes into a whole lot of gendered thinking um, as to, you know, if a male is strict, then that's great and they can push you really hard. And if a female is, they get accused of not being maternal and caring. 
And yet we know in rowing, you have to push people hard. Mm -hmm. And that may be why, you know, again, in 40 years of hindsight, why a female coaching a male crew is really good. Yeah, you guys will push themselves like and it's great and it's healthy yeah we definitely want to talk to a few of those coaches that you named I know you told me about Liz uh the last time we spoke on the phone and um you know these are the kinds of stories that we want to tell here at Study State because we think that we could maybe affect that coaching pipeline and maybe encourage and uh open those doors for people who wouldn't normally consider themselves coach material um, we think there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of great ideas and a lot of great ways to motivate people. And, um, you know, we just think through telling these stories that we'll be able to, uh, shift the, the framework, shift the narrative and, and really see rowing for more of a, a multi-layered community that it is right. And you don't have to go through certain steps and certain ranks to become a collegiate coach. It's helpful, but you know, how can we help people kind of guide the way, you know? Well, and I think exactly right. The same way that you don't have to be super tall to be a rower. You don't have to be the greatest coach in the world to be a coach. You have to be a great coach for that program. And most programs aren't going to nationals. Most programs aren't doing that. They're providing a great experience of learning life's lessons on the water. And that's open to so many coaches, I think, who might be afraid to put their name in the hat to coach a big name program. They can still have a huge impact on people all over the place. So I've heard a rumor that there are some boats named after you. Tara's told me this. Well, I have rode the Nevin, and I've also rode the Baker Beast, and I've used the Baker Beast. <laughs> and. Well, everybody uh, who's listening should know that uh, if you don't already know, being called a beast is the highest form of compliment for a woman rower, <laughs> at least in my opinion, is being called a beast. And Sarah Nevin has the distinction of being the original Baker Beast. <laughs> That's what I always heard. Is that the story you know? So in college, my, my little group of friends did call me the beast from the east. <laughs> <laughs> And you also have the um, the Sarah Nevin Cup at the Windermere Cup, as does yeah. uh, and Eleanor has a cup as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, how did that happen? I think uh, Peggy Tosdell from Mount Baker arranged for that, and yeah. super cool that the Sarah Nevin Cup goes to the winner of the Junior Men's Four. So nice. I just take a ton of pride in that. that That's great. Um, so I know you've you are uh, in your sort of retirement mode and looking back, I, th- I don't know if this conversation was helpful um, in terms of the looking back and looking ahead, but what do you think, uh, or what do you hope your uh, coaching legacy will be, whether it's you're done now or you're done in 10 more years um, in this imprint that you've left on the rowing community. And just a sidebar before you answer that is uh, when you and I spoke on the phone, I was telling you about um, this favorite favorite thing that Eleanor McElvain had shared with me that she said she attributed to you which was that the rower has a life cycle and there's three parts to the life cycle first don't screw up then you match and then you contribute and she attributed that to you and and that's and I know we've talked a little bit about it and that's just been such a game changer for me and I think it's really an indication of how much a coach's maybe off the offhand comment or short speech uh, at the boathouse can really change someone's trajectory. And I I have to say that that has informed my coaching. It's informed my life. It's informed how I work with my clients and my friends uh, on various projects. So thank you for that. I think it's, it's an amazing analogy and and, uh, I'll be doing actually some writing about it because I think it's just been so uh, transformative, but back to the question, Um, coaching legacy and imprint. What do you have to say about that? That's, that's a big one. Um, and thank yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, I, I would think it would just be like coaching any athlete. If I was able to give any light bulb to anyone on any day on the water, that was a great day. Um, and so if I've been able to give anything to more than one person, then that's an even greater 
thing. And so I think just trying to keep that going. I do think one of my strengths as a coach is being able to simplify the problem and then succinctly make the point about what needs to happen. Mm. And I think rowers can get so in their head about, like I'm doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong at the catch. And I can say, just do this. And that can be clarifying. So if I have helped anyone or any program to simplify and just do this, um, that would be a great legacy. Great. I'm going to guess you set off more than a few light bulbs for rowers <laughs> over the years. I'm going to guess. Exactly. <laughs> I love that moment too. It's, it's really great. Um, all right. I think we're going to wrap it up, but we're going to do what we call a uh, rapid fire. And this will be really fun. All right, Rachel. <laughs> okay. You want to okay. go first, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Okay, this will be really quick. Porter, starboard. Starboard, all the way. Bow seat or stroke seat? Um, as long as it's not the middle of the boat. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, salt water or fresh water? Fresh water, because I've had to maintain equipment for too many years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, head race or sprint race? A uh, thousand meters, actually. Sprint. Well, master, master sprint race. Master sprint race, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Uh, Betsy Beard, our coxswain in 1983, would whisper, like in the middle of a race, come on, big Sarah, and I would explode. <laughs> <laughs> come on, big Sarah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh my God. We got to find her. We need to have her record that. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Um, Unisuit or tank and trowel for rowing? Uh, tank, tank top. Yeah. They, they were just coming out with unisuits in the mid eighties and they weren't always built comfortably for somebody with a longer torso. Mm. So not a fan. <laughs> I think I know. I've not tried them since. <laughs> and seams were in bad places if you had a long torso. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. imagine. It's come a long way. <laughs> uh, we talk a lot about how fun it is to just see so many different body types and everybody just rocking the uni, just walking around the head of the Charles. You know, it's just like, you go. That's awesome. Um, okay, last question. Uh, coffee before or after rowing? I'm not a coffee drinker. We, this is becoming a theme. There's a lot of non-coffee drinkers out there. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not yeah. either. Yeah. It's, um, so, and it was actually, a coach told me a long, long, obviously a long, long time ago, that they didn't drink coffee before practice because they didn't want it to, they didn't want to rely on it to impact how practice went. And like, if they couldn't get their cup of coffee, it would be a bad practice. So I was like, oh, oh well, then just get to drink coffee. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in there. Right? Like, right? if you're used to having your cup of coffee first, like on the way to the boathouse or something, as a coach. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us and letting us. Thank you for uh, letting us pick your brain about rowing, letting us yeah. hear some of your stories. Thank you so much. It's just, it means a lot to me to talk to you. You're a real legend to me. And uh, this is just too, super thrilling. So thank you so much. Thanks, both of you. This has been fun. Steady State Network is a media group bringing together real life rower experiences through podcast conversations, website musings, and a curated quarterly magazine. Join us as a patron, writer, artist, podcast guest, and fan. It's rowing for the rest of us. All right. So, hey, Tara, tell me what's coming up next on our schedule. Wow, we really miss hanging out with people. So we decided to team up Seize the Your Foundation and Row Source to host a free virtual happy hour to close out day three of the U.S. Rowing Convention on Friday, December 11th. Doors open at 2.30 p.m. Pacific, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Stay tuned for more info, and we can't wait to see you there. And save the date, we're also co-hosting a para-rowing global meetup on December 15th. That'll be with Seize the Oar Foundation for para-rowers, coaches, and fans around the world. Follow our social media for more information. 
It's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related part of their week. Let's hear from a few folks. Hello, Stay State Network. This is Kevin Fuji. I am a rower and coach at Pocock Rowing Center in Seattle. And the best part of my rowing week was getting on the water with some of my teammates um, that I am used to rowing in two boats with. Rowing singles with them uh, on a scrimmage practice course was a fantastic way to spend my Thanksgiving morning, actually, was the day with my old teammates. We logged about 13K, sports about 1,300 calories, and uh, easily replenished that later in the evening. That's it from Pocock Rowing Center in Seattle. Hopefully, we'll see you on the water. Hi, this is Leslie Wright, and I'm a member of Chinook Performance Racing, and the best part of my rowing week? That's a great question. Recently, I'm a coxswain, so it has definitely not been in the boat. I'm also a coach, and we haven't been out on the water, so it's been a little bit lonely. Um, I'm getting over COVID, but have had uh, the great opportunity to be a part of the U.S. Rowing Junior Coxswain Rowing Camp, and so I'd say the best part of my rowing week this week was participating in a camp with Morgan Burnham Williams, who coxed at the Oxford Boat Race, and I was one of the coach coxswains, and she did a presentation to some athletes that was just exceptional. So we'd like to repeat that another time um, for coxswains that perhaps are part of the para-rowing community and part of Masters Rowing. So have a great uh, week, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hi, this is Linda Murray from Hanover, New Hampshire, and I row with the Upper Valley Rowing Foundation. The best part of my rowing week is meeting up with my friends, even if it's via Zoom this time of year when we're on Earth. I'm looking forward to being on the water again, but I got six months of winter ahead of me, so Zooming it is. Thanks. Bye. Hi, my name is Dave Harvey. I'm a men's rowing coach at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington, and I wanted to share the best part of my rowing week. Uh, my program recently wrapped up our fall season, and we finished that with a Q&A with Arshay Cooper, uh, along with the PLU Women's Rowing Program and programs from Oregon and California as well. Uh, we had about 150 athletes on the call with Arshay uh, after they had all left the movie. It was a great experience, and the best part of my week this week has been my end-of-season one-on-one meetings with athletes where you know, typically we're talking at this point about winter training, what went well from the fall, what, what we want to improve on. Um, and this year, a lot of those conversations are about racism, uh, how we can be anti-racist, how we can be allies to underrepresented communities, um, what we can do in our own on our, in our campus, in our city, uh, and it's really great to see the energy and the passion that athletes are bringing to these conversations. Um, there's a real commitment to you know, taking meaningful actions, and it's, it's inspiring to see, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Um, and it's exciting for the rowing community, but also our, our broader community. Thank you so much. Hi there. I'm Del from Northeast Florida. Um, not currently rowing with the team, just recreationally out of my garage. And um, the best part of my rowing week is probably logging my workouts in the logbook or just on paper and looking at it and being like, wow, I did that. So as a former rower getting back into it, just knowing that I can do it feels awesome. And that's my favorite part of the week, rowing. Bill Donahoe here from Clayton. The Western Reserve Rowing Association, or WRRA, is the effectively known. Our local health department uh, orders kind of preclude boathouse operations right now. So uh, what's going on with our club, the best part of our day, is uh, they are in the process of renting out their herbs for winter training so we can all get through this together. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Coach Emma with CZOR Foundation. CZOR is a uh, local adaptive rowing team in run out of Seattle, uh, working on inclusivity in rowing in the Pacific Northwest and partially globally, too. Uh, my rowing highlight of this week is 
the virtual Sunday workout we all do together, working on cardio and strength, preparing for the water season in 2021. Thanks so much. Go team. Don't forget, you can add your voice to this segment. Just record your own voice on your phone to share the best part of your rowing week. Send the audio to us at any time at bestpart at steadystatenetwork.com. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber, you're supporting a new narrative in rowing, and a couple of your fellow rower entrepreneurs make it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access, so join today at steadystatenetwork.com, on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, and on Twitter at Steady State Row. During our rapid-fire Q&A with Coach Sarah, she told us her favorite coxswain call was when at the University of Washington, her coxswain, Betsy Beard, would call Go Big Sarah to motivate her. Well, we found Betsy and asked her to reminisce about those UW lineups with Sarah in the early 80s, and Betsy even reenacted that special coxswain call. So we surprised Sarah with Betsy's message, and here's her reaction. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Sarah, we have a very special treat for you. Okay, so we're going to have you listen to it. Hey there. Hey, this is Betsy Beard-Stillings, and I was a coxswain at the University of Washington in the early 80s and went on to cox for the national team for five years, including at two Olympic Games. Sarah Nevin. Sarah Nevin and I go way back. I first knew of Sarah when she was a championship-level junior single scholar. We were both from the East Coast. And we both ended up at University of Washington. So I first had Sarah in the varsity eight at Washington for the 1983 season. She was up in the bow pair. Perfect place for a single sculler because when you put somebody with the talent that Sarah had up there in the bow, the ability to keep the boat on its platform, to balance the boat, she knew absolutely what she had to do uh, to keep the boat on keel because she was a single sculler. But she was one of the youngest. She was a sophomore in the varsity, not very tall. Um, in fact, I think she was the shortest one in the boat except for me. When, you, when you're when you casting the boat and you're really trying to get the most out of the athlete, it's really important to come up with these key buzzwords and key ways to motivate people, although I would say Sarah didn't need the motivation. Uh, and one of the things I would do would be to talk to people and motivate them individually with Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, come on, big Sarah, right there under your breath, and a little whisper to her, come on, big Sarah, and she would lay it down, she would spell it out. Now, you know, she wasn't big, she wasn't tall, but she had the heart of gold and could be a beast when she turned it on, so uh, those were the calls that you'd use to motivate to get the most out of the boat. That's amazing. Did, did you prompt her what my favorite call was? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I found Betsy. She and I had a lovely conversation yesterday. And then I said, I need you to call back and leave me a message on my voicemail with that call. <laughs> that is awesome. That sounded so good. <laughs> well, thanks for coming back on with us. What a fun surprise. Thank you. That was, that was great. Yeah. Oh, good. Voice again. Yeah, I'm so glad we could, we could make that happen for you. Yeah, did it make you want to get up and just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to do my erg today. So, you know, maybe I'll put a little power behind it. <laughs> What's on your schedule for the day? What sort of a workout? Oh, I just usually do 10K feet out every other day. Oh, just 10K feet out. <laughs> that's a good workout. <laughs> Hey team, that's it for today. But for show notes, links, extras, bonus content, to see pictures of Coach Sarah Nevin, and to join our Patreon community, visit steadystatenetwork.com. In two, let it run. One, two, let it run.
All right. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks Sarah. for the surprise. That was yeah. great. Yeah, you're welcome. Definitely. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey team, that's it for today. But for show notes, links, extras, bonus content, to see pictures of Coach Sarah Nevin, and to join our Patreon community, visit SteadyStateNetwork.com. Let it run in two, one, two, let it run.